What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CST Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown, Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, I'm having a, uh, a nice Cabernet right now, drinking out of a mason jar, uh, because I do not have any wine glasses, like a, like a pleb. But... Uh, the point being is that I, I love red wine. I love Cabernet and that's my thing. And I go to Blanchard Family Wines because they're the best in Denver to get that sort of thing. Uh, they have a great vibe, socially distant. Uh, if you want to go out and like go and have fun with friends, uh, they have socially distant tables with some reservations. Um, you, they could also book a virtual wine tasting if you're like me and imprisoned in your own home. Um, it's whatever you need, but Cabernet, Pinot, uh, Rieslings with a Western Slope uh, partnership from a winery in the Western Slope called Storm Cellars. Anything you need. My favorite place to go in Denver. You got the Jeff Morton seal of approval. Go down there to Blake uh, between Blake and Wazee and just get your uh, Blanchard Family Wines today. Uh, they are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines located uh, between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field right in the middle of the dairy block. They are on the internet, <laughs> on the internet, on bfwdenver.com. Boy, I'm slaughtering this ad. I'm sorry to James Blanchard. Uh, also, I'd like to tell you about my friend Andy Feinstein. Please support our friends at Exo Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant Rhino Arts District. The uh, Exo Event Center can host safe, socially distant, distant events for 25 to up to 175 persons outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you're interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday or anniversary, or a general morale boosting happy hour, which let's face it, we all need right now, uh, Exo would love the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit exoevents.com for more information and book your private event today. Okay, enough of that. Uh, we are, I would like to really introduce two people who I'm surprised at this point has never been on CSG. Um, and as this is their debuts, they deserve uh, I try, I, a, a, a big introduction. Um, I have got two guys who uh, uh, are what, one of the people I enjoyed working most, uh, one of the people, two of the people I loved. <laughs> Which one? I'm so sorry. <laughs> two of the people I loved working most with, with at Denver Stiffs when they were at the tail end of my tenure there. Uh, but I do enjoy both of these guys tremendously, and I'm so thrilled to have them on the podcast. First, I'd like to ad uh, introduce, as Ryan Blackburn would say, Deputy Site Editor of Denver Stiffs, Mr. Zach Mikosh. Hello, Zach. Hello, Jeff. I appreciate you You uh, are following the proper protocols with uh, having me on. I always am introduced first. That is that is part of my contract. Right, yeah, that that's, that's in the deal. That's in the tens of dollars they give us. It is. A lot of under-the-table money. Um, right. <laughs> I'd also like to, that other voice you heard was uh, a, a known, uh, an author of note uh, and a all-around all good guy and writes some tremendous articles one of the best writers on Denver Stiffs, I would like to introduce to you, Gordon Gross. Hello, Gordon. I appreciate that, man. It's good to be on. Um, we, we've talked, but we haven't, we haven't done one of these CSGs yet, so uh, yeah. we'll try not to, to drag it out for three hours. You know, it's, I, I mean, I, Zach has I, to get to bed. He has work to do. He, he does. He does. I, I, he's, he's an early riser uh, as opposed to you and I, Gordon. I mean, exactly. <laughs> especially especially uh, in comparison to our, our faithful site manager over there at uh, – Denver Stiffs, who yes, uh, Ryan overslept for a 2 p.m. podcast. So, 
Brian did explain to me one day that he, he was likely to oversleep something that I, he and I were talking about. And I went, I was looking at my uh, clock and I said, oh, this is like 11 a.m. Is that, is that oversleeping? <laughs> and I was like, and, and yeah. But he's a, he's a youth. He's a youth. Exactly. So youth. He has a youthful energy, but it's all that late night energy. That's how it goes. This is where I, I sit. <laughs> say, I think about that. Yeah, back in college, man, like I remember I'd give my roommates crap to be like, yeah, it's 11 o'clock. I'm going to bed. Like 11 o'clock, man. The night's just getting started. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. God, 11 o'clock now. I'm like, I'm dead, man. <laughs> Done. I had a job when I was a teenager into my early 20s where I worked a swing shift. And swings were the worst because, you know, you yep. would start at you know, mid-afternoon and you wouldn't end until like midnight or one, one, one o'clock in the morning. And I was so wired after I got off of those shifts. So to remedy that when I'm in that age, I would go to Denny's and I would just pound coffee, just pound coffee <laughs> until three, four in the morning. And then I would go to sleep. Yeah, and... see, I worked graveyard at a Sherry's, oh, so, which is like Denny's. It's just Denny's, but like 5% nicer. <laughs> um. And so all, all you guys who were done at 11 would roll into my place. And I had all the college kids come in, you know, drinking coffee till three, four in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, smoking a cigarette, having one cup of coffee. They refilled 23 times. Oh, yes. It was a good time. Like, I enjoyed that. So, yeah, I, my, my normal schedule is definitely not, not early morning. I am. I'm a late night person. Can't that's help it now. That's one of the things about, you know, being coming of age in the 90s is that that was coffee culture to oh, yeah. its zenith. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I cannot uh, go like to you know, coffee shops other than Starbucks. The big ones really don't exist anymore. Maybe Crema on Larimer. But there is a, uh, you know, there would be those coffee shops because they sprung up everywhere and they would all serve cappuccinos. Right. And stuff like that. When and, I was, I was in Seattle at the time, man. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. You were. Like, <laughs> so I was in Seattle in the 90s. So like... <laughs> All of that, all of that, that whole coffee thing was really bad for me. Every block was a coffee shop. Everybody had their own. Well, I can't look and think of it without thinking of so I married an axe murderer. Oh, yep. <laughs> and him yep, getting yep. That, that, that extra large ca- uh, cappuccino. And he says, excuse me, ordered the large. And I just, you know, I can't think of that, you know, with coffee without thinking of that. Mike Myers type people. Um, so not Michael Myers, the... Uh, Famous not Halloween, although we are no, getting close. Yes, we are yeah, getting close. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can look forward to Gen X movie shows, which is going to be horror month. So it's going to be all horror movies coming there up. There you go. Um, but, you know, guys, the Nugget season ended. A hard transition here. The Nugget season ended. It wasn't a horror show. They didn't, no. they didn't end horribly. No, no. Uh, they lost to a better team. Let's yeah. just put it out there. We, we, may not, we, we may quibble with the circumstances. We may quibble with some things that happened during it. But by and large, they lost to the, the better team. And yeah, uh, just uh, we'll start with you, Zach. When you uh, like kind of did it a just brief assessment of the team right after this happened, was, were your, were your thir- first thoughts like, well, this is a successful year. This is like, what am I, what am I feeling down about? This is, was a good year. We didn't expect them to get to this point. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, I didn't expect them to beat the Clippers, you know, um, even, even before they were, I mean, going into that series, let alone when they got down three games to one against the Clippers. Like, I, I mean, I figured – you know, the Clippers and the Lakers were sort of in that tier above everybody else in the West. Yeah. Um, and the Nuggets were filing it under that. And I think they, they proved that, hey, they're, they're in that tier as well. They, they certainly got beat by the better team in the Lakers, but I don't think they're that far off. Um, right. and, and, you know, you never know what can happen uh, with, with guy, a guy like LeBron getting, well, let's see how old he is. So he's going to be, what, 36 here coming up in December. Oh. Um, so, 
you know, I, 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 feel, I feel really optimistic about where, where Denver's going. I think they found, they discovered a lot about themselves. I think they discovered a lot about Jamal Murray, about Jeremy Grant, about Michael Porter Jr. Um, in this, in this playoffs. And that's going to really set the direction. I think the direction is known now. Now it's just like, okay, we got to find the little pieces here and there to put around this team to make sure that they can get so that, that, that Dwight Howard doesn't take Nikola Jokic out of his game. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Gordon? No, I agree. Like the, the whole season, the season was such a strange, strange year was all spread out like this. Um, but you know, they went through their ups and downs. Um, I, I didn't expect when they were having their troubles in March that they would make a run to the Western conference finals. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so the break did them that they didn't even really get healthy over the break. They yeah. were still injured, but what if, for whatever reason, it helped them reset what was going on in March. Yeah. As as people looked out of sync and out of sort, and they um they got to get a really good look at MPJ, which they hadn't had to that yeah. point. Yeah. So Definitely. it was great to finally see how he might fit in long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeremy Grant certainly made a lot of money in the bubble. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, you got to see what pieces worked and what pieces need refining. Yeah. It was great. You, Jamal Murray showed once again he's a playoff player. Yeah. You know, how could you not be delighted to know that it wasn't a one off? you know, against um, San Antonio and Portland last year. And that it's for real, that he is this kind of guy every time the lights are bright. Mm-hmm. Great. The Nuggets needed that. They need him to be that. Yeah. They don't need him to be that in the regular season. So it's okay if he's not. Yeah. But they need him to be able to shoulder that burden. He showed he could. I don't see how you come out of this year without being thrilled about where the Nuggets are at mm-hmm. with their three main pieces being 25 and under. You know, and ready to go ahead. And if they can keep Jeremy Grant, you know, then you've got four starters locked down that you know are there for a long time as the centerpiece of your team. And then you just have to work out the rest. Every team would love that. You know, I I was thinking about it today, and it's good to have a couple days distance. And that's one of the reasons I I thought about recording a, a, a recap podcast right after it. And I'm like, no. I need to, I need a couple of days and let it breathe. You, know, you let it breathe a bit because you know, you, you just, I mean, look, doc fucking rivers got, got, well, you know, either left or got fired today. Who they, they haven't, they haven't clarified that, but he's gone. And right. a lot of that had to do with the utter and complete humiliating collapse that the Clippers had against the nuggets in the bubble. And when I, I'm glad I got to process that information coming in because it was like that kind of further put some information about what happened. Uh, sure. and how remarkable what the Nuggets were doing was in this bubble. And uh, did you, either of you guys come away thinking like this was aided by the fact they were in a bubble, they didn't have to travel to LA or, or either series. Did you, did you come away with that? Or was it just like a, a, a bubble, you know, it, it didn't matter that it was in the bubble. It was, was different because it was hard to be in the bubble. So a couple things that um, <clears throat> probably helped them. It's probably easier to come back from a three, one deficit if you don't have to travel, right? Like yes. that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially considering against the Clippers where they would not have had uh, home court on two of those three games that they had to win. So I think that certainly helped them. The other thing is, I think uh, that was mentioned, and maybe it goes into a little bit about Jamal Murray, just especially what he did against Utah. Is it was a, it was a shooter's gym, right? There's, it was it's something I didn't think about, but I forget one broadcast they were talking about it, about how when you don't have these stands just stretching out behind um, the basket, it kind of gives you a really nice blank backdrop and so you really can focus in on the basket instead of all this other stuff that's going around you that you kind of had to block out so mm-hmm. um that probably helped them and, and i think not necessarily the nuggets specifically i think everyone that's why one of the main reasons we've seen so many 
you know, massive yeah. uh, point totals in this, uh, in this bubble. So those things, but otherwise, but no, like, I, I don't think like this is in any way sort of a, a bubble anomaly, right? Like this is, um, this is for sure uh, what this team has. Like they're, they're, there's nothing that they found here in the bubble that they won't be able to carry over once we start playing, uh, getting back to normal whenever that might be. Yeah. No, I agree with that. The, the, bubble, the bubble effect is real. Like guys being able to shoot the lights out of the gym is a real thing in the bubble. You don't have opposing crowds. They're not all in your face. Yeah. You're just out there playing ball. You're hooping in a gym against some really good other players. You know, but it's, it, it's effectively you're scrimmaging for a title, which is great. I mean, I, I think that everybody would love to be, have no distractions, just go out there and play. Yep. You know, but you notice that some teams couldn't do that. I mean, there's a reason the Nuggets came back from 3-1 twice. Yeah. You know, I, it's not like it was easy on the Clippers. They, the thing is, people who are used to it being set in their favor, when you're used to having home court, when you expect that rolling into L.A. is not easy because L.A. nightlife always takes half a game off of everybody who comes in, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not there this time. You just have guys hanging out together, having long stretches without friends and family, just here to hoop. And everybody said it was hard, but I think that the inside the gym stuff was, I guess, uh, yeah. easier, but not less representative. Well, so, it, yeah. I mean, but just in the, in the grand scheme of things, you, you're, you're, this is going to be one of those anomalies in NBA history, like the 99 and 2012 seasons. Um, yes. Yeah. With the strike shortening and yeah, yeah. this is going to be, different uh it doesn't make it it doesn't make it less meaningful it just it's right different. and i think we learned a lot about uh the teams we learned a lot about uh specifically the denver nuggets and and, and kind of where i'm going with this is i want to talk about with you guys specifically we're going to talk about uh some of the players and, and um zach you uh, mentioned jamal um how much was jamal's Utah series indicative of what he can do as opposed to maybe some of the difficulties he was having in the Clippers series. Did we see the full package of what Jamal can do, I guess, in, in, in multiple situations? So, I mean, was it, was it indicative of where you think he is now as a player, uh, the way he handled both of those diametrically opposed series? I, I would say, I mean, I, I think it's a really good representative of, of where Jamal is at, which is you better have a, a top-notch defender to throw at him yeah. because if you don't, he's going to light you up for 50 points. And, I mean, that's <laughs> that's or, or he's got the potential to do that to you on any night and on multiple nights. It's, you know, I, I think people really got on Jamal, particularly when the Nuggets were falling down uh, and behind the Clippers because he wasn't, you know, they just seen him basically shoot the lights out for four games in a row against Utah, uh, and he wasn't doing that. But, I mean, Utah has – or not Utah, the Clippers had Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly. Like those are, those are all NBA defenders. Like you had to expect him to come down. And then the thing that I think was um, encouraging was he fought through that. And then he played some pretty good defenders on that Laker team too. Like Danny Green, Contavious, Caldwell Pope, Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo. Those are really good defenders as well. And they didn't really, I mean, they didn't really slow him down too much. Obviously he didn't score, you know, whatever, 142 points or whatever it was in three games. But yeah, I mean, he he showed, I think, that he is he is at that star level. Now, what what that means for everybody is is a little bit different. But I think he showed, for me at least, like that is a guy who will win you games 
in the playoffs and that's and can do it almost single-handedly or at least for spurts and that's that is something that the nuggets have never had even with Jokic, like that's not his game right he's not that type of guy he'll do it when he absolutely has to but it's not really his his style so to be able to be like hey we found that guy because i think every championship team needs that guy like to be able to have found that in jamal murray and i i like i believe 100 that that he is that guy like that's um that that's probably the biggest part of the bubble that that the nuggets gained come come through it all right i agree with that and i have a i have the resident like jamal murray doubter Mm-hmm. You know, not in the sense that I didn't think he was going to be good, but in the sense that I didn't think he was there yet. Everyone kept yeah. telling me he had arrived before these playoffs. And I'm like, no, man, he's, he's too inconsistent game to game. He would mm-hmm. give you one brilliant game, one, you know, good game, and then three, you know, eh. Okay, you know, it's just that his great games were really great. And so you could see that he could do that. But if you can't keep that altitude, if you can't fly at that level, yeah. you know, when your team needs it, then you're not a star. Like, then you're just a good player. And he was a good player, for me anyway. Um, and then when he showed up in this bubble and he did it again, like he did it last year, you know, in a throwdown with Damian Willard, like that, that showed me that he's a 16-game player. They used to, you know, the, the talk was always, are you an 82-game player? Are you a regular season guy? Or are you a 16-game player? Are you a playoff mm-hmm. guy? And there are some guys who are eh, in the in the regular season. They show up in the playoffs and they just ball out. Yeah. And Jamal Murray is a, balls out in the playoffs, and the, the Nuggets need that player, and he is that. Yeah. But what I liked about the two series was him showing that if you don't guard him, as in the Utah series, they didn't have anybody, mm-hmm. he will just burn you down. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. But I also loved that he played against the Clippers and he didn't shoot them out of the game. He didn't just try to take on the Clippers one on four. You know, he didn't run through three screens and then throw up an off balance, you know, prayer, air ball. He did what he was supposed to do. He ran through all the screens. He took the shots he should take. He passed the ball when he should have passed it. Yeah. You know, we didn't have any of these weird, I can't get the ball to Jokic turnovers that he used to give us two years ago. Yeah. You know, where there's just some tall guy in front of him and he just turns the ball over. Yeah. His handle's gotten better. He got stronger. He was able to fight through those screens. Like Jamal has done all of the work for a guy who's not, the most explosive guy. He's not the most athletic guy. He's not Russell Westbrook. You know, he is a, a large-ish point guard, um, but doesn't have the best handle, doesn't have the best feet, and didn't, in the regular season, shoot the lights out. Yeah. But he found out how to be an aggressor, and he kept on the whole time. And I, I love that about him, and I, I think I agree with Zach. That was the most important thing for the Nuggets to find out was that Jamal Murray is that guy, yeah. that he is – he is able to carry you as a point guard and as a shooter during, depending on whatever it is that you need him to do against the, in the series that you're playing. And that was really important. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at it and I, I, I think there's been an evolution with how the nuggets have approached things. Um, and it started with Chris Finch leaving um, controversially yeah. and the offense adjusting in a, in interesting ways. I, I still don't, I mean, I'm kind of like um, some other people out there who think that like, I like the ball, quote unquote, the ball popping stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I do enjoy that, but I think that it's not sustainable in the playoffs. And I think that what they've kind of evolved into is, is kind of the other way. I think it's a little too limited for me. I hate to be critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the problems I think the Nuggets have faced is getting that other offense. And ideally, that's going to be MPJ, um, right. 
you know, it was Jeremy Grant in uh, the Lakers series. Um, ideally, it's MPJ and all that stuff. But when you talk about the dynamic of Jokic and and Murray, Zach, do you think do you think that has evolved in the appropriate trajectory? Is that now the point where it is at the crux? It, it is the thing. You know, you have a team that just went to the Western Conference Finals. They seem to be trading games where they each had the game. It seemed like, um, particularly in the Clippers series, they seem to. I mean, in Game Seven against the uh, against the uh, the Jazz, Jokic had a fantastic thirty point game, and then the Game Seven against the uh, Clippers, he had the amazing triple double that he that right, right. just just completely dominated the game. Do you think they're now at a comfortable place to where they both can work together and take over different aspects of games when need be? I think, yeah, for sure. And I think they've, and they've found, I mean, the Murray Jokic two-man game, right? That is when everything is locked down, right? At least for right now for the Nuggets, when, when, when you're getting locked down and you just flat out have to manufacture a bucket one way or another, like that's, that's the, the, what they can go to. Um, to get it done. But what I think we also saw in game five against the Lakers is that if one of them gets, gets hobbled uh, like Murray did, if one of them gets in foul trouble, like Jokic did, you still need that third guy. And I don't think you can, you can necessarily rely on on it always to be Jeremy Grant. And then that is where I think that Jokic and Murray now next need to grow is if they expect, and I think the franchise expects that Michael Porter Jr. to be that third piece they got to figure out how to play with that guy because mm-hmm. like when he was on the court with them, he stood in the corner and they just didn't even look his way. Like they, they yeah. went and did their own thing. And like, yeah, if, if Jokic got doubled or everything collapsed on Murray while he was getting into the lane and MPJ was open for that kick out, sure. They would, they would throw it to him, but they've got to find a way now to take that two man game and turn it into a three man game. Um, and when they do that, then you've got everything, I think. Then you're then you're there. Then you're at peak Nuggets, or at least this version of the Nuggets. Right. And that, that's – the problem with the 1-5 pick and roll is you can do that forever against some teams. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can win a title with that as your only offense because the Nuggets yeah. had nothing else. Right. Yep. They couldn't kick it out to, you know, Paul Millsack. They couldn't kick it out. For a lot of the, the playoffs, they couldn't kick it out to Jeremy Grant either. He yeah. got hot against the Lakers. But before that, he was bricking as much as Millsap was bricking. Like yeah. – yeah, you know they they couldn't kick it. They couldn't kick it to Gary Harris. You can't throw it to Tory Craig. Like they didn't have an outlet. There is no other person, they and so they ran one. with what they knew. Yeah, they missed. One. You know, and the problem was because Michael Porter Jr. didn't play enough this year. They they had no experience thro- ever doing that in their offense, throwing it yeah. to a to a guy who could shoot forty something percent from three all the time. Yep. You know, and for that guy to be a bucket getter, like that was not an expectation. So they didn't, they didn't alter their offense. They just put MPJ in the Tory Craig role. And that's okay for this year. He's a rookie. You can't, you know, force everything all at once. I thought he should have got more minutes. You know, he came along just fine and showed that he was doing just fine. Yeah. You know, with the minutes he got, but they didn't have enough time to work him in. Yeah. And, you know, there are many reasons for that you know, getting him started late, having a giant break, you know, losing 10 games of the season. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of reasons that, that you couldn't work him into more of your offense, no practice time. Yeah. But now that you have a full off season, now that you have time to sit down and make it work, you can't spend all of next year just doing the really safe one, five pick and roll. Yeah. You can't do it. Like that's obviously the core of your offense. You have those two guys who can do that, but Jamal Murray can do so much off ball as well. It's one reason this offseason I'd like them to get another ball handler 
who, so that you can run times where you have both MPJ and Jamal Murray off ball yeah. with Jokic in the middle. And then you just pass the ball around, man. Like, there's so many things you can do with a third scorer, and the Nuggets have never had that. They've never had the opportunity. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what it is that they do now that they've perfected what Jokic and Murray do. Now you have to add a third piece in, like Zach said, and figure out how to make that all work around each other. You know, you uh, just brought up something interesting, Gordon, in the sense that the Nuggets, and this is going to make people nuts, but this is really the truth. The Nuggets are basically the 90s Utah Jazz. I have said that before. Yep, I agree with you. They, they, everything sprang forth from the Stockton and Malone yep. pick and roll. Everything. And, but they uh, had shooters. They, yeah. <laughs> For the yeah. time. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Hornacek. And uh, uh, they thought Ty Corbin was a shooter, but he was. For a second, but that didn't yeah. work out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But Tom Chambers, man, Tom, yes, Tom Chambers, <laughs> who was seemed to be on every, like every team the Nuggets were playing at the time, Seattle, Phoenix, yep. <laughs> Utah. Um, I, I, my, my view is that the Nuggets are going to have to force themselves to be more diverse. Um, and you guys kind of touched on that and they can't just go with the nineties jazz model. Right. Cause there's, and I'm going to bring up a, a subject that people don't want to talk about, but it's true. Michael Porter Jr. knows he's good. Yeah. He knows he's good now. I mean, whether we think he's there or not, he knows he's good now. And the more they don't incorporate him, the more likely I, I'm not even talking about stunting his development, but his involvement in the nuggets as a franchise will become more problematic in my view. And I think it would, it, it would behoove the Nuggets to figure out how to do it specifically. And I, okay, I'm just going to be specific. Michael Malone needs to understand that he needs to develop with experience rather than develop via teaching. He's going Carrot to have stick. to do it. Yes. Yep. He's going to have to do it this way because I think, as you saw, the more playing time, actual consistent playing time, Michael Porter Jr. got, the more at least tolerable he was on defense. Yep. And their problem was, as you guys pointed out, they just couldn't work him into the offense. There was just no provision with which Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and then Michael Porter Jr. could exist in a sense in, in, in any sort of symbiosis at all. And that really, I think, hurt them. Even though every time Michael Porter Jr. was on the court in the Lakers series, it was a positive for the Nuggets. Yes. I mean, as much as we like to think that it wasn't, and the deep, we all get caught up in Michael Malone's defense, defense, defense thing, some guys are just a positive when they're out there. Um, Zach, do you, when you look at it, how, how can the Nuggets really incorporate Michael Porter Jr. next year? What, how, what can they do to expand a – what is really just a two-person offense and everyone else kind of gets the garbage. Yeah, and, um, you know, it was funny is because um, you were mentioning, well, we have a third you know, a third score, and I was like, have the Nuggets ever had a third score in my entire life? And I was like, I don't think they have. No. So, <laughs> no, right. no, so it's and, – and a lot of teams uh, really struggle when, when trying to figure out how to get that third guy. I mean, even look at even Golden State. Like, they – I mean, they made it work for, mm-hmm. for a couple seasons, but then it, it all kind of – you know, there wasn't enough ball to go around. And that's something 
that's something that the Nuggets should be more insulated from. And so one thing that they're going to have to do and that fans are just going to have to accept is Nikola Jokic might average 15 points a game, 16 yep. points a game. Like that just might be where he's at. He'll get 11 assists and 12 rebounds to go with it, and he'll yep. basically average a triple-double. But, like, that's one of the things they're going to have to do is instead of um, drawing up plays uh, or, or in Michael Malone's case, calling, shouting plays from the sideline. Calling, um, calling, calling. Yeah, <laughs> that, that are intended to get Nikola Jokic a good look. Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to shift some of those um, to Michael Porter Jr. And, and I think that's, they've got the ability to pull it off is because they got a guy who doesn't care about not taking yep. as many shots. They're, they're a superstar. He is totally fine not taking as many shots. So um, it's going to have to start there and it's just going to take time. Like that, that, that's all it is, is yeah. I really, really hope. And we were joking on our pod last night. I was like, yeah, we're all going to be, they're going to resign Tory Craig and we're all going to be pissed off online about Tory Craig taking Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes in January. Um, but I really, really hope Michael Porter Jr. is the starter from day one next season, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take these three guys yep. being on the court with each other and working together, because I think that's so much of what it was. I, I don't think it was that necessarily that the Nuggets um, aren't aware of what he could do or that Jamal and Nicole weren't aware of what he could do. It's just a matter of they, they get into their groove, right? And they get into what's comfortable and natural. And particularly in the playoffs where every yeah. possession is, it matters yeah. so much more. Yeah. Like they're going to go with what they trust and what they trust is their two man game. Um, so that's what they did. So they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to figure it out. But what we, we know about Michael Porter Jr. is we know he plays particularly well with Nicola. He's great at cutting. Um, and Nicole's great at finding him. We know he's a knockdown outside shooter, so he can take pressure off Jamal um, when Jamal's trying to get to the basket. Yeah. There's going to be – he's going to give them so much more space to operate uh, out there in comparison to a Tory Gregg or even a guy like Jeremy Grant who shot 40% from three. You know, like there's so much more respect you got to give that guy when he's on, out there on offense that it's going to just make those two guys' lives much easier. So I have faith they'll figure it out. But yeah. really, it's, it's just going to take time. Like they, they've got to play with each other more. Yeah. When they have to be willing to lose the battle to win the war. Yeah. And the problem is Michael Malone has always been a battle first guy yeah. that he cannot stand losing this game tonight. So he can't play Michael Porter Jr. Cause we might lose. Yeah. And therefore Michael Porter Jr. Is never ready to play because, Oh my God, we might have lost this game. Yeah. Cool. Fine. What if you don't get home court? I don't care. Home court wouldn't have mattered in these playoffs. Yeah. Like, you know, if they had finished seventh in the seeding, they could have still gotten to the Western Conference Finals. There's yeah. no, there's nothing that says that that would have been a problem for them this year. Yeah. If they had burned games to get Michael Porter Jr. ready, then maybe they would have been able to face the Lakers better. Maybe he would have been more ready. Mm-hmm. So these are the things he's going to have to be willing to lose a couple games just yeah. on continuity. Uh, even though I will say Michael Porter Jr. is the he's such a weird player. Yeah. He's such, I've never seen anyone play like him with his build. Yeah. I've never seen a guy who's just a dead eye three point shooter who goes out and just demolishes the glass Mm -hmm. for I, that's, it's such a weird thing to see. Yeah. You know, it's not something that KD does. It's not something that you don't have any of your great shooters out there smashing the glass. Like he does. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where he picked that up. It's it's just not something you would teach a star even in, you know, um, you know, when you're in high school. It's not something that you do. Yeah. It's something you can do because you're big, but it's not something you train for, so I'm surprised he's so good at it. 
Um, but it makes him a really interesting fit, and he helps them keep their rebounding advantage. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, it lets you allow you to play um, Jeremy Grant as a wing and not as a big. Yeah. Because you can have MPJ crashing the glass behind him. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things that it allows you to do with your team construction, and the Nuggets have to be willing to do those things. They have to find that offense for him. They have to – he can't just stand – on the corner three for 20 seconds of the 24 second shot clock. There's got to be motion. You've got to cut. You've got to find ways to get the ball in his hands, have him be the guy who's being screened for, you know, something. And the Nuggets didn't have any of that. And I get it in the playoffs. You know, last year they had nobody but Jamal and Jokic. Nobody else came to play in those playoffs. Yeah. And this year it was close to that. Grant showed up, but you still had guys who were injured. You had guys who weren't available. You know, you're missing your other ball handler in Will Barton. Mm-hmm. And so they just turned back to what worked last year, and it worked again for the most part this year, yeah. which was the pick and roll. And, and that's great, but you can't have that be your basis. You, I mean, you, you can't have it be your basis. You can't have it be everything that you're able to do because MPJ is not Torrey Craig, and he's not Gary Harris, and he's going to need more than three shots a game. And you're going to have to find them for him. And like Zach said, and making sure that – you have your offense centered around Jokic, who doesn't care about shooting, is great. We need him to care enough. Yeah. Like, I can't have Jokic taking two shots again. Like, yeah. he, he's got to actually shoot the ball. But he doesn't have to shoot the ball 20 times a game. He's not going to. He doesn't want to. And he's right that they're better when he doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. there's ways to do it. The, the mm-hmm. Nuggets are lucky. They don't have selfish stars. Because yeah. the last team that was like this was the Thunder. When they yeah. had – when you had, they had a pick, they had – uh, Westbrook, they had Durant, they had Harden, and then they had Ibaka. Yeah. And they decided to bail on Harden and yeah. keep Ibaka. Yeah. And in our case, that would be bailing on MPJ and keeping Grant. Yeah. In two years. Well, worst case scenario is they bail on MPJ and keep Craig. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. But I'm just saying, like, that, there are teams that had the opportunity and did not make it work. They Either their stars couldn't make it work or yeah. – you know, their front office couldn't make it work, but the Nuggets have a chance to do it different. And if they can pull it off, it's going to be something incredibly special. I, I, my thing is like, and, and where the Nuggets are at, they, they made it to the Western Conference Finals. I'm, I'm happy with the year. I don't think there's any way that, that I could not be happy, particularly with the, with the bubble, the playoffs, and the way they went. Um, I, where I'm hitting my head up against a wall not in frustration is that it's, it's just, I don't, I don't know where the nuggets can get better. I don't know what they can do. And that's where my, my, uh, like as far as an extraneous move or anything like that, because the free agency class this year is pretty bad. Yeah. And, uh, trade they could, bring back. They, could. they could also, <laughs> uh, have him hold their stash. Um, <laughs> yeah, get less trouble here than in Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, but you, there's certain there's certain things you can do. I want to know from you, you guys, um, in your in your wildest dreams, within reason, obviously. What would you want the Nuggets to do without having to give up in a trade, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, I think that's the uh, and that's the key that. Uh, <laughs> We could trade for Victor Oladipo, apparently. That's a no yeah. deal. Indiana. Some guy <laughs> online, yeah. 
I, I replied um, to I replied to your tweet tag. I was like, aren't people aren't seriously thinking about this? No, there's there's one guy who was like, it's in the air that you know that the, the, this could be the kind of trade that would happen, and threw MPJ into an Oladipo trade, which um, is never going to happen. Like spoiler, that will never happen. No, no, no. Yeah, they're not. They're not trading him. I mean, when when your coach calls a guy a, a rookie, a franchise cornerstone, um, you're not trading him, uh, save for another guy who's a franchise cornerstone, uh, which there aren't any of those guys right now on the market. So um, we were talking about this a little bit last night. I mean, the, so the ideal ideal scenario, and it it, it takes some things uh, really fall unfavorably for the Nuggets, but would be to to basically just trade Gary Harris and Will Barton. Uh, to New Orleans for Drew Holiday. You probably are throwing in your first round pick there. We we're thinking maybe even throwing Monty Morris uh, in that deal because you can. He's expendable with with PJ Dozier's rise. Um, and then somehow convince Paul Millsap to go to New Orleans as well, and then do a <laughs> sign and trade to get Derek Favors back. Um, so you could add Drew Holiday and Derek Favors because that's the point is is that, uh, that's what I really feel like the Lakers series more than anything exposed in and also the the Clippers and, and Jazz series was that you're not maybe necessarily as hurting out on the wings as we thought, because you have Jeremy Grant, obviously got to resign Jeremy Grant uh, and that's priority number one, but like you got a guy who you can throw at big wings on the perimeter and he does pretty darn good. Um, What you don't have is somebody to bang down low with a Dwight Howard, other than throwing Jokic at him and getting your best player into foul trouble and getting him frustrated. So it'd be nice I, you know, I would almost look at it as if, if the Nuggets could get a starting lineup of, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Derek Favors, Nikola Jokic. Like, I'd almost prefer to go that way than uh, Jokic, Porter, Grant, Drew Holiday, Jamal Murray. Like, I I really feel like like, if I were them, I I would go big. So I think the number one thing that they need to look for – um, is is some sort of a big to play next to Jokic who can just who can just bang down low and also can make a, a shot outside of six inches on like Mason Plumlee, um, mm-hmm. but but the other thing that I know from that I've heard from from quite a few people is that the Nuggets are really hard out uh, to try and get Drew Holiday, so um, I expect them to 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 do everything they can to make that move. I, like it would not shock me at all. I would I would say I mean it's it, like we were talking about last night. It's like it's almost like we all knew eventually they were going to get Paul Millsap. Like it was only a matter of time because yeah. they've been chasing him for like three freaking years. Mm-hmm. It feels the exact same way, way with Drew Holiday right now. Well, and that's for me. Drew is the guy that I want, and it's just because what he does works more in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like what the Nuggets need is a defensive a big defensive guard who can play point so that Jamal Murray can play off ball. If he's injured, you can work out other things yeah. like, you know, what they can't do is put all their eggs into just the Jokic Murray basket. And then if Murray goes down again, what are you doing? Yeah. Like you have nothing. Yeah. Um, it, that can't happen again. So they need guys who can score and defend in the playoffs. There aren't a lot of those guys. And most of those guys are very expensive. Yeah. Drew holiday is very expensive. Yeah. You know, Bradley Beal's come up, but Bradley Beal is going to take shots away from MPJ. Yeah. And you, you know, have to, I, I can't imagine the Nuggets can put together a package that doesn't involve MPJ Jr. to get for Bradley Beal. Beal. They would have. It, it, well, it depends yeah. how much they want to clear their books, man. Like, that is true. They're, they're hurting over there. Yeah. You know, if you don't get any fans and you don't have any, any good players other than one, then you have an issue. I mean, uh, their, uh, their GM slash president is Tommy Shepard, who was the former – 
PR guy from the Denver Nuggets. Yep. That made Mark cast the Nuggets favor, so you never know. <laughs> well, yeah, between that and, uh, you know, our tourists, you know, the Nuggets have uh, – they're, they're starting to seed the, uh, the league with guys that they can deal with. Yeah. There's people who didn't appreciate my story about uh, – my did, I, did you guys see my tweet about the meeting our tourists yep. for the first time? I, yep. I, was, I was like, I thought people would appreciate that. It was an actual – that actually happened. He looked at – it was the – I crack a joke. Connolly was laughing. Andy Feinstein was laughing. Nate Timmons was laughing. Um, Tim Gelt was there. He was laughing. I looked over at Arturis and he just says, that's funny. Yep. <laughs> that's Arturis. Anybody who's met Arturis would be like, yep. yep. I, I tried to explain to the Bulls fans because they were all pissed off at Arturis for not firing um, you know, the coach mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. And I was like, look, guys, it, Arturis is going to take his time. He's going to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be – he's bland as toast. Like he has no – interest in being amusing he has no good anecdotes he doesn't care he's very bland you just have to survive it like he's very very good he's just a very bland viper and once you're used to that that's fine just expect that from him oh yeah you know it it is one it is one of those things and i i think well and and here's something that i'll throw out there there were significant rumors um at the trade deadline that the nuggets were into zach levine Mm -hmm. yeah and I don't know what I feel about that as far as quote improving the team, uh, but he would add a different sc- he would add a scoring option basically. One of the things the Nuggets have been stuck in this is just my own personal opinion. Um, they have been stuck in a a cross a, a nexus between a coach who has a certain philosophy and yep. a roster that is mostly players who don't fit his philosophy <laughs> yep um so i think what the nuggets have been doing uh this is just from my observation have been removing his cr- his crutches right and uh trying to understand like we want you to instill defensive principles in these people but we don't want you to turn this team into the 93 knicks yes which is what he wants them to be yes <laughs> so when, yeah the issue that i keep running into with malone is that yes, it, it, he has a philosophy. Now Malone is an incredible motivator, mm-hmm. like getting his team up for all of these games, getting them back into these series. Like uh, I would say that Malone is a much better motivator than a strategist. Yeah, that his gift is to get his guys to play really hard, to like compete every game, to mm-hmm. overcome you know experiential differences between them and another roster. And just go out there and play. They didn't respect anybody. They weren't afraid of anybody. They went out and played. And I, that's, a, that's a credit to him. But the problem is that he wants them to slow it down and play defense, slow it down and play defense. The reason he likes the 1-5 pick and roll is because there's only two options out of that, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to worry about it. Like it's, it's, He likes to control circumstances. Turnovers. They play at a slow pace now, the much slower than they did uh, when, in the Chris Finch years. They play at a much, much slower pace because he controls mistakes that way. Mm-hmm. They can get back on defense. You have fewer possessions. There's fewer chances for transition points. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I don't like having an offense of limited mistakes. Yeah. You want an offense of creativity, yeah. especially in the modern NBA. It's very, very hard to win by slowing it down and trying to squeeze the points out of it. Don't now, in the playoffs, the sometimes you need that. Yeah, look at the Lakers. Look at the, yeah. look at the, they ran off of makes. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is yep. what you you. I mean, 
And, they and the did. Nuggets could do that. They have the best one court passer in the league. Well, like you know. Yeah, and look at look at what look at uh, what the George Carl the 2013 team. Yep. Uh, they had Corey Brewer who was constantly leaking out. Right. Right. Yep. Constantly. Well, that's, Anthony that's like did. Anthony freaking Davis. Yep. Constantly was doing leak outs for the Lakers. Yep. It's not a bad philosophy if and because the Lakers are a good defensive team, right? right. So they yep. could do both. And I think where and in the like, look, I think he grew as a coach in the playoffs. I really do. Yeah. I think Malone grew as a coach. Where he didn't grow was in game adjustments. Right. Where he has constantly struck proven to, to struggle. I think where that is where he can improve. That is where I think that is his next. Hopefully, that is his next evolution. Right. Um, because I think that is that can where he can go. But you know, Zach, I'm watching. I'm watching the series, and I'm like, he is. He has a, a hard time understanding where the game is going. I've, I noticed. So he has a hard time understanding the flow of the game. Um, there, I mean, do you guys remember that famous Oklahoma City game from about three years ago where Gallo was still there and he left the bench unit in for the entire fourth quarter and yeah, overtime? Was, Will Barton yeah. played all 24 minutes. Yes. Yep. And, and overtime. Yeah. And it's because he had no concept of how the, the flow was going. Um, that is, that is a, he is better than, than he used to be with that, but he's also still, at least in my view, struggling with, identifying who's hot and how to stay with them. There are times that Michael Porter Jr. scored that way. You'd score seven in a row and he wouldn't see the ball again. Right. Yeah. Right. And it, it drove so me nuts. So yeah. how can, I uh, mean, um, Zach, how could uh, uh, Malone grow as a coach into this next season? Is that, do you think that is something he can do? Yeah. We're, we're fixing to find out because I mean, we, we know Malone. I mean, he's, and he's, he's stubborn. Like Malone is, Malone is, he's old school. He's, he's a coach's son. Like he's, he very much knows the way he wants to do things and he very much uh, believes in a certain way of doing things. And um, he takes some time to adapt to anything, but can he probably, cause he really didn't seem like all that interested at one point in, in running an offense through Nicole Jokic. And you know, yep. that, uh, that eventually, you know, it, it eventually he kind of just had to accept um, and, and embraced you know, that like I can, I've got, yes, this is definitely not orthodox. This is definitely not what my dad was doing uh, with the Pistons, but um, yeah. it's like, but I can, I can do this and this, and this works. So I think he can grow and, and you're right. I think in game adjustments is probably one of the biggest things that, that he's got to work on it. And just like, I think the reason he struggles with it so much is he's such an emotional guy. Yeah. He gets so caught in the passionate. moment in things. Yeah. And passionate, right. That's a good way of putting it. Like, and we see it, we see the, the best of it when, when he rallies his guys, when he's, um, like you said, Gordon being a great motivator, we see the worst of it when he's calling a timeout 40 seconds into the half because they just, you know, they turned the <laughs> ball over twice and gave up two layups. Like he, he, we, he, he kind of lets his emotions get the best of him, which I think that's, and that, I mean, that's a hard thing for any, any person to do regardless of what they're doing in life. Um, but that's probably the one way I'd like to see him maybe progress more. And, and he has, I think he's definitely better about it now than he was, you know, three, four years ago. Um, but he's got to continue to, to, I think, stay more even keeled and that's going to help him to not lose the flow of the game. Right. Because he gets, he gets right. so caught up in the single possessions of things that he, yep. he s- sort of forgets what's happened the past four minutes or whatever, you know, and it's, um, it's something that he's just got to work on. And it's, it's those tough things for anybody to work on when it's like, well, it's not, it's not like a, 
uh, a physical thing to work on. It's not like a, an X's and O's thing to work on. It's like, no, this is, this is about like understanding your emotions um, and, and learning how to rein that in a bit more. That's, I mean, people go through their entire lives and never figured that out. So, yeah. um, but I, I have faith. I think he will, I think he will continue to improve. I thought, like you said, Jeff, I thought he, he took some steps for sure uh, in these playoffs. He's, he really looked a little bit outmatched in the beginning against Utah, against Quinn Snyder mm-hmm. um, and ended up getting the best of that. And then I thought, I thought he was quite masterful really um, in the Clippers series. It was the, much better. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 I thought his players bailed him out in the Utah series and then he got it right in the Clippers series. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think that what the Nuggets now need to do, they've given Malone three offensive centerpieces. Yeah. That is not what Malone wants. Yeah. Okay, but you can't now trade MPJ. He shows you that he's probably going to be too good. Yeah. You can't trade that guy for a defensive whiz. You, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I mean, Malone would love somebody like Jimmy Butler. Malone was like, yeah, give me that guy. Like, I, I want – give me the grinder who's a good defender – who's a, a pretty good offensive player, but is very clutch, mm-hmm. you know, has a huge chip on his shoulder because Bowen has a chip on his shoulder. Like, g- give me that guy. Nuggets aren't going to get that guy. They've got their guys. Yeah. So they need to go get him enough defenders who can play offensive ball, mm-hmm. you know, who aren't limited by shooting the ball from six inches away and aren't limited by, you know, being unable to convert, you know, simple plays that you give him those guys who can run, who can defend, who can make open threes, who can, you know, drive the hoop. And then you can give him something to work with where all those guys can become his trust guys. Because the problem has been for Denver that his trust guys are not offensively capable. And so whenever something's wrong with Jokic or Murray, the Nuggets falter because all the guys who were in the game can't do what is required. And Malone will pull them because he trusts them. He would much rather lose – you know, a low scoring game than win a high scoring game. Yeah. And that's in the moment. Anyway, you watch him make the choices in the moment to lose a low scoring game instead of win a high scoring game. Um, I love seeing him put my MPJ in the game Um, uh, in the, even in the playoffs, you know, we've been in the whole fourth quarter and they won the game because he needed to win a game with a guy who has offensive potential. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that it's those things he can look back on when he goes back to the tape and say, Yes. Okay. I'm going to need to ride my offensive guys more. I just need some stops. If I can get some stops, I can keep everything going in the game. You know, I what was funny to me, Gordon, was the moments in the Clippers series where MPJ said, our offense isn't diverse, basically. Yep. We need to learn how to get the offense. And while his execution of said comment was probably uh not good i would say that i didn't hear based on what i was hearing a lot of disagreement right i was hearing you don't air it out in the press that sort of thing right yep and okay that's all well and good uh offensive diversity it's great how do you fit how do you make your defense work hand in hand with your offense? How do you make these two things work together? And and Zach, this is what I've noticed with with Malone and, and, and a lot of coaches have this problem is uh, sometimes their defensive philosophy doesn't marry with their offensive philosophy. It is just two separate islands and uh, one island tends to be bigger than the other, right? And and the, the big island for Malone is defense. 
and I haven't seen anything with the Nuggets defense that helps and which is run by Wes Sunselt. And it's good, but I, the, the, the actual principles of it don't lead to helping the Nuggets offense. It is just like, this is a possession where we will milk the clock to get, you know, I used to call it 24 second defense yeah. where you're not really playing for steals. You, you don't want steals. Steals, you know, are, are not necessarily what you want. You just want to induce a missed shot. Uh, which is all this is, you know, sometimes as good as a turnover, but that's what you want to do. Right. But it doesn't lead to offensive execution on the other end. So, as you've right. got two things that are kind of sucking on each other and they don't really mesh, how do you think they can get those two things to kind of marry? I guess. Yeah, it's um, that's a good one because I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that Malone ever really like that. I don't know that he necessarily wants to marry him um, because I think what he wants to do is play. He wants to, he's fine walking that ball up the court um, and, and sort of grinding it out and winning games um, 86 to 80. That's not necessarily how you do it in the NBA anymore. They're going to, though, they're going to have to get, one of the things they've got to do is they've got to get, um, they got to get more athleticism, I think. Uh, with with their other two guys because and it's not that they haven't had them it's that their guys haven't been hurt like one guy I look at specifically right. is, is is Gary Harris right like yep. he's he just has been robbed of his athleticism over the past couple seasons mm-hmm. because he's been dealing with one core injury after another one mm-hmm. um, and and so you don't necessarily get uh, the guy like a Corey Brewer right who wants to run up and down the court and do leak outs and just um, try get and get steals. the ball in transition yep. and get steals and do things like that like Gary Harris is um, phenomenal at staying in front of a guy, yes. uh, particularly when he's when he is right. But he's he's not a guy that you're looking at um, as as someone who's going to quickly turn that get a steal and turn it into a into a transition bucket. Uh, and, and the same thing has been the case, obviously, with Paul Millsap, right? Like that dude's not he's not beating anybody down the court, um, and and has been you know again another guy really good at staying in front of his dude on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm does have good hands, but, uh, is, is trying to, if he, if he's trying to get a steal, right. It's, he's going to, he's going to get that takeaway. Okay. He's going to turn and look and where's my, where's Jokic, where's Murray to just kind of hand this off and let's, then let's walk it up yeah. um, the court. So I think they, they, they would benefit greatly. And they, they already have some of this in place because you, you assume Jeremy Grant probably starts next year uh, as long as they can resign him. Um, you get some more guys and, and MPJ, same thing. You get guys out there with, with more length and more athleticism, um, who are more willing to run up and down the court. And I think you you tend to marry that a little bit better. But at the same time, like, I don't know that they'll ever, I don't know they'll ever find that that perfect harmony with Malone. I think he's always going to be a guy who's kind of like Gordon said, he's, he's he'd rather lose, uh, lose a low scoring game uh, than win a high scoring game. Obviously, I mean, coach always wants to win or hates to lose is his, uh, right. his favorite, favorite buzz phrase there. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be – so going back to what you are saying, Jeff, they've got to save him from himself in some ways, um, which means they probably should not re-sign Torrey Craig and Paul Millsap. Like, let those guys go and force him to play uh, more Jeremy Grant, yeah. more Michael Porter Jr., and, and then they might, you know, they might just find that marriage um, organically rather than um, making a concerted effort to get to it, I guess. Yeah. Well, when you think about what the Nuggets went through the season with, Grant was not a starter. Yeah. Right. Okay, Jeremy Grant, who was the third most important player in the Lakers series, maybe the second most important player. Like, you know, Jeremy Grant was not a starter. Okay, mm-hmm. um, Michael Porter Jr., not a starter. Yep. So you're running these guys, and they're the future of your team. 
You know, they were not starters for most of the year. That wasn't, they didn't play together. They didn't work this out because Malone had defensive guys that he wanted. And so you're trying to marry two different styles of player into one set of offensive principles because you don't want to have to run two. You don't want to have to run two sets of defensive principles. Mm -hmm. You want everybody to be on the same page, but you're running out there with guys that are not here long-term. It's a short-term defensive patch. And what the Nuggets can't do is repatch that situation. You cannot go out there and get another slow power forward who can't run a break. And you can't go out there and get, you know, like I love Gary Harris, but if he comes back, he's going to be a bench player. He's got to be a bench player. You cannot start him. Um, these are the things that the Nuggets have to figure out. You know, using Gary Harris off your bench as a switchblade, you know, go stop that that uh, offensive point guard, you can do that. Yeah. That would be great. But I understand that they're paying him to be a starter, but the way that it sets up for Denver, you've got to have guys there who are able to use their length, who are able to work together on defense. And the Nuggets, for whatever reason this year, ran most of their defensive – um, procedures, I suppose, through slow big men. Yeah. You know, you have Paul Millsap, you have um, uh, Mason Plumley. you know, um, and that's who you used on defense most of the year. Jeremy Grant wasn't your defensive whiz until the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, that wasn't something that he was doing 30 minutes a game. You know, Jeremy Grant didn't play 30 minutes a game this year. Yeah. He should next year. Well, well I... Uh... And, and I, I will uh, kind of go further into this in our last segment, which I will come back to once I read an ad for DraftKings. You know, really painful, painful transition here. I, I really apologize. But DraftKings, yes. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four. There's no better place to get in and all the action than with the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add the excitement of week four, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, DraftKings Sportsbook, head over to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users a chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. If you can place $1 bet on any team, if that team wins, you cash out a cool Benjamin. How would you like to, How could you pass that up? Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook now and use the promo code MHS when you sign up to this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week four and bet $1 and win $100 if they win. That is $1 to win $100 when you use the promo code MHS to sign up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Profit boost terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. The mouthful. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Probably shouldn't be snarky during my ad reads. I apologize to the good people of DraftKings. Anyway. Well, you got to work on your, uh, you got to work on your like super fast getting in out the legal details. I know, right? The- <laughs> I, 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 you know, the legal disclaimer. But it was Off for something to change. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, guys, I, I kind of want to go through a couple players and we'll go, we'll just kind of go through whether we think they will be back or not. Um, I'm going to start with Paul Millsap. What do you guys say? No, no, nope. no. Um, no. There's a way he comes back. 
Yeah. But yeah. If he wants to be Mike Miller, right. by all means. But like that's that's to me the role that he can play for this team is the last the the vet at the end of the bench. Otherwise, um, you don't see it. And and I think he's better than that. Like I don't I don't think he's he's at that point in his career. Yep. Um. So I could see. I, I could see Paul. I could see Paul playing in for for a Los Angeles team next year if they can find a way to fit him in there. Yeah, what do you think, Gordon? Nope, I agree with that. Um, Paul Paul is too good to take a mentor, you know, um, bench riding run to the to a title. He deserves fifteen minutes a game for somebody. I just don't. If he's here for the Nuggets, it's probably gonna be twenty five minutes a game, and I'm gonna be mad. Like. Yeah. The problem is, is it's a, it's another one of those removing a crutch for Malone. I, I like Millsap, but he showed in the playoffs he's he's aging by the day. Like he just he he had his couple of good games, and then a lot of the time it was just fall down, can't get it done, losing the dribble. He doesn't have a drive anymore. He can't take anybody yeah. off the off the dribble. Right. You know, can't um, be he guys can't. In the post. Like, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He he can't be guys in the post. He can't. He doesn't know turnaround game anymore. So he's stuck doing like twelve foot, you know, step back turnarounds, you know, or trying to hit threes, which he bombed. He 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 missed most of them in the in the playoffs. So that he's very limited now offensively, and he's lost a step defensively. So he's still got good position, but he's more easily beaten. It's just it's age, man. It gets all of us. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Paul's been here a long time. Yeah. It happens suddenly too. I mean, let's see if if Paul Millsap actually had a pretty good season. (laughs) Heading up to the break, and then age was like. It's your time. Right. And it's, it's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's happened to anyone who's reached a certain age. Paul Millsap is, what, 35, 30, 35 yep. years old? I, it, it's just going to happen. And it didn't happen to LBJ yet, but... Uh, not, well, not yet. And it will, but it will. I mean, there will. there will be a time yeah. he will fall off a cliff. There will be a time when he and The Rock both, like, lose their supplier and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, in that same vein... Uh, big free agent decision on Jeremy Grant. Do you think the Nuggets can pull it off and get him back? Yeah, they're going to have to. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like you can't, you won, you can't, um, you, you can't give him a first round pick for a guy uh, for a one season rental Two, You can't then bring him in and find out, uh, unlike the last time you gave him a first round pick for a guy who was on an expiring contract that you were kind of like, oh, I don't know, but we're going to give him 12, 14 a year to play 15 minutes as our backup center because we don't want to, we don't want to waste the We don't want to yeah. That was throwing uh, effort after foolishness. Right. Yeah. This time you're like, no, we saw this guy. Like he feels a he feels a super huge role yeah. for our, our group that we absolutely have nobody else who can fill that role. Like right. you've got to do it. Um And there's no one on the market either. He's right, the only yeah, guy. Exactly. And and yeah, and you don't got you don't got the money to go out there and pay someone like like a Jeremy Grant. So um you've you you've gotta to have to take the guy who you've got the bird rights on and um does that mean you're paying him north of 15 million per? Probably, but like yeah. that's that's just what what you're gonna have to do. You, you just got to accept that like the Nuggets probably will not have anything other than like the MLE um, and some some veteran minimum kind of deals yep. to give out to free agents not already with. It's them. why trades are important this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so. Because the only because like the, their free agent money, free agent money, you know, is gonna be um, Jeremy Grant because it should be. He he did exactly what you thought he should do. The problem is, is other people probably thought that too. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Well, one of the things of the free agency this year is that uh, we've had 
circumstances that have may have altered some circumstances, right. some various yep. uh, uh, things that people were hoping on is not going to be achieving anymore. One of the biggest free agents of this of this off season. Uh, this tells you how bad this off season is as far as. Uh, um, you know, available uh, right. free agents. Malik Beasley was what number three? Like, yeah, like if you're looking yeah. at a list of guys, there's only a couple guys ahead of Malik. And you, you were like Danilo Gallinari, who's uh, 32, and yep. like you know, it, it had you know a good season, but it's 32. I mean, that kind of tells you where this thing is right now. I don't know necessarily. I would like to think that the Nuggets can like there won't be another team that will throw a big ass offer at at. Uh, at uh, Jeremy Grant, but I don't know. He did right. kind of show off on a natu- uh, on a nas- show out on a national stage. Now this was a better year for him to do that. Yeah, this this was a better year. Like next year, people are going to have lots of money and not enough guys. This year, there's some money. There's just not a lot of guys. It's just, there's a huge yeah. pandemic that totally affected revenue. So that uh, well, it, yeah, the, and it's going to be a year. People are more cautious about throwing out the big deals. Correct. This one, for sure. yeah. You're not uh, going to get any auto porter contracts this year, is what I'm oh saying. God, to you. I hope. No Myers Leonard. No. Uh, yeah. Who was, who was the Portland guy that they they? That they, was one of them. There was a couple. Uh, Myers Leonard. <laughs> and Myers Leonard, Leonard and and uh, oh God. Uh, Alan Crab. Alan Crab. He's the he's the yeah. one I always think of. Like Alan Crab, really? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Mason Plumley. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Mace, man, but like, yeah, it, we're it, like, you know, you gotta. We've seen another, the limits save of Mason from himself, man. Yeah. Saving from himself. We we have seen pretty much where he his limitations in the playoffs come in. Yes, he cannot be played in the playoffs, and that's two, the problem. Two playoffs in a row where his weaknesses yep. uh, don't overcome his strengths, or his strengths don't overcome his weaknesses. There we go. You got um, it right the second time. Yes, um, I I think that that is that is kind of we're all in the same boat here. I just don't know how they can do it. One of the reasons he's there, and I know this for a fact, was because they wanted to emulate Jokic in the second unit. Yep, and, and that you, you know, can't. It just if you don't have a if you if you have a guy who can pass but can't shoot, yep, and is is that's that's the problem. And and Mason can't shoot. And I, and I like Mason a lot. But I think he'd be better served on a different team at this point. And he could probably start on some teams. Like there, yeah. there's teams that he for sure could start on and be just fine. But yeah, like exactly like you said, Jeff. I mean, nobody gives a shit about Mason Plumley running a DHO uh, out at the uh, the perimeter because they know there's no threat of him doing anything. Yeah. Um, out there, so they just they just go into drop coverage and um, whether it's that or a pick and roll and 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 just you know okay cover cover the guy. Uh, cover the other person in this cover whoever and, he and, isn't and, yeah. yeah and don't worry about mason out at the three-point line yeah all right tory craig i think tory craig is back um which is yeah which i'm not i'm not thrilled about but um i don't think again i don't think tory K, there's gonna be a lot of uh market for tory craig's services uh not much more than what the nuggets would give him anyways uh the nuggets are gonna need guys um and and Tori is obviously is probably the biggest trust guy um, that Malone has, at least in terms of perimeter defenders. So I feel like uh, I feel like they they give him another very similar deal. Like he gets two two to three million per two or three years. Yep. Um, and and he comes back. No, I agree with that. And that's it's not even it's that it's a bad thing. He's he's on a cheap deal. He will be on another cheap deal. The problem is whether Malone can limit himself to twelve minutes a game of Tori Craig. 
or whether he wants the full 18 to 20. And if he wants the 18 to 20 of Torrey Craig, that's going to be a problem. Like, so that's where, you, again, you have to give him more defensive guys who are better players than Torrey Craig so that he's not so tempted to play Torrey. Because you need one. Like, what are you going to do if Jeremy Grant goes down? You can't have no defensive wings. Like, you've, yeah. you've got to have somebody lying around, and it's good to have a cheap backup who already knows your system. Yeah. You know, there's no adjustment period. Because remember, anybody that they add is going to spend three months being crap because they don't know how to play with a point center. I will yeah. say like, this. They, they do have one other uh, perimeter defender, and that's Vlatko Von Dom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Vlatko definitely was hitting the gym. Yes. I mean, that's all he could do. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I look, I like Vlatko a lot, and it's good to have a guy on the roster who uh, is buddies with Jokic. But, yeah. And likes to work out. Yeah. It speaks yeah, the same apparently. language. <laughs> so, yeah, having yeah. a guy who likes to work out and likes Jokic, and Jokic likes him, those are good things. It, it's, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, well, one more guy and he's under contract. So this is just hypothetical. And then I want to go through my Jeff's zany, uh, trade idea. And then, you know, we can wrap it up because, you know, we all know how I hate, uh, the ESPN trade machine. Um, I know you do, but, uh, I, I just had a thought after I saw that ridiculous tweet about the, uh, MPJ getting traded for, uh, Oladipo. Um, Gary Harris, I, yeah, I, think, I, I, think, I think Will Barton will remain next year. That's kind of why I haven't included him in this. But Gary Harris has been in trade rumors going back for four, four years now, three, years, three years. They do what, keep trying to trade him. Yeah. What do you guys think they will try to do with him this offseason? I think they'll try to trade him again. Um, yep. He, he would, I was uh, saying this to Gordon just last night that they were probably um, – better off uh, losing in terms of Gary Harris trade value. They were probably better off losing to the Clippers than getting into this Lakers series. Cause you know, Gary Harris looked pretty good through when he came back against the, he looked great when he came back against the jazz really in a lot of ways, turned that series around for him. Um, and then was, was solid against the Clippers and then just bombed uh, against the Lakers. And that, uh, that probably hurt him. So the, the, the tough part about trading Gary Harris is you owe him $17 million um, for at least what, like two more seasons. Um, so getting someone to be willing to take on that contract, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a scenario. It's probably not as bad as like Kenneth Freed or Wilson Chandler were, where you had to pay first round picks to get off of the deal. Um, but nobody's looking at Gary Harris right now and being like, Oh yeah, that's a guy I definitely need to bring into my team to add, add to this, um, this group. They're going to want, some sweetener to go with that. And mm-hmm. it, whether it's, whether it's Monty Morris, whether it's bull bull, whether it's the 22nd pick in the draft, um, the Nuggets will probably have to add one of those three pieces Agreed. Um, to get, to get off of him. But I expect them to, to try and move him in and to go back to it. I expect him to be, they, they need, if they're going to trade for Drew holiday, they need Gary Harris to be in that deal because they, they need his money um, to match up with Drew. So that would be, I would expect them to go that route before anything else. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's <clears throat> Gary Harris, if he comes back, has a role. <clears throat> but the Nuggets, he's being paid more than his role is worth. Yeah. Um, and so he would be for another team, which means you have to sweeten the deal if you're going to move him and you're going to trade something out to try to get something back. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I expect them to try to include him in some trade packages. Um, if he wants to come back, he wants to come back. Like he's yeah. an expiring the year after. Um, and then you, you can see where you're at with it. Maybe you trade him then for a team that's going to want the cap hold. 
Um, but for the most part, I, I do not expect Gary is not a guy that they're like, nope. We, even though you saw his defense against Utah and how much they desperately needed a guy who could shut down, you know, a Damien Willard or a um, um, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Like, you need those small point guards that you've got in the West are really annoying. And the Nuggets don't have but one guy that can really do that, and that's Gary Harris. Yeah. But that said, they're still looking for an upgrade on, this, on the team, and I would expect Gary to be one of the guys they would have to move just to make salaries match yeah. to get back a higher paid player. Well, yeah, I was thinking too, you know, uh, Torrey Craig is only good for guarding smaller players. So if he, they bring him back at a cheap deal, you can kind of right. plug him in there to guard guard. Uh, well, that would be uh, that if yeah. if you lose Gary Harris, that's what you're doing. Yeah, is you're is you're shifting him to your defensive, you know, bust up somebody else's shooting guard or point guard role. Like that's yeah. what you're using Troy Craig for. Um, all right. Last thing, uh, and thank you guys. This has been fun. Um, I uh, I know I I just having been on other podcasts with you guys, I it's just been. I knew this would be a good conversation about the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I We're glad, for, glad for the invite, man. I appreciate yeah, you guys absolutely. coming on. Um, all right. I kind of was thinking today after I saw that stupid-ass trade idea. and I, I thought about you. I thought about <laughs> you and your, your hate for the trade machine, right? When I saw it come through, I was like, oh, this right? is, is hey, Chad Jeff's let ass me, for sure. <laughs> let me explain something. I had to deal with Denver Stiff's commenters doing – the worst. I'm. I'm sorry. I know you guys are listening to this. By the way, the I, worst. I, I love all of you, but there were. <laughs> you're some... all the best people, but you're terrible with trades. <laughs> but the that the trade machine things would come in, and I would want to take an ice cube and stab my eye repeatedly. <laughs> you know, yeah, not, not an ice cube. I hope an ice cube. That would be amazing. Yeah, blunt one too. Yeah. No blunt force I, damage. Yes, I. I just. I, I just couldn't take it anymore. It gave me splitting headache, and I would complain to Andy and Nate about it constantly. Like, I hate the fucking trade machine. God damn, I, I want to kill the person who invented it, which I guess is basically <laughs> Bill Simmons. But right, I, yeah, whoever it was is a jerk. Yeah, but it, it's just it's one of those things. But anyway, I was thinking about it today after I saw that tweet uh, that you commented on, Zach, and I'm like, you know, what if the Nuggets traded? Um, couple players to get acquire instead of instead of uh uh drew holiday maybe they roll the dice and they get jj reddick as a as a shooter and work in a way to get tristan thompson to come off the bench because they think they needed a guy to bang tristan thompson's a free agent though yes Um, so, but yeah, but but similar thing to like getting Derek Favors. You probably got to work yeah. a sign and trade in there somewhere to, to find a way happen. Find a way to fit in Tristan Thompson, and try to trade for JJ Redick without trying to give up the farm, right? Right. right. And All right, let me fire up the trade machine here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, my my issue, my only issue with Tristan Thompson is he's not really a great defender. Yeah. Like that's not Tristan's thing. It's the reason that I like I prefer somebody like Derek Favors, who is a Derek Favors is a Millsap kind of crafty defender. Yeah, he's not a real jumper. He's not a real. I mean, he's a decent athlete, but he's not jump out of the gym. He just gets in the way. Tristan Thompson is a good athlete, but it, it and he's big. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they're paying JJ Redick thirteen and a half million a year. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, they wanted him to come, man. They they were like, we need a shooter. And they, they paid him. 
And so JJ's JJ's making money. Is um, he on a two year deal? Is that two? Yeah. Well, so he'll. I assume so. He's got one year. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One year left. Yeah. And again, at some point, JJ Reddick's going to age out. Like you would think, at some point, he would stop shooting. But mm-hmm. he's such a good shooter that maybe that never happens. Well, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen like Kyle Korver. You know, I don't know if, oh, that's what that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, now the Nuggets aren't going to be on the hook for the Kyle Korver contract because they would never give it. Yeah. But. Yeah. You know, that that was the problem is, is you know, non-athletic white dudes don't exactly age the best in the league. That's not. No, they do not. They do uh, not. And he, he, that's the guy that taught himself how to play defense. I, I like Redick because right. he went from being a shooter to a guy who could do everything, mm-hmm. you know, asked of him on the wing. And that was really, because um, coming out of Duke, that was not his thing. This is yeah, true. He was, he was just strictly was, just a shooter. It was just him, like, giving – giving the shocker uh, symbol yep. every time he uh, yep. made a three. Uh, <laughs> I love JJ. Uh, he's, such, he's such a damn good shooter. Like, I, I, a couple years ago, I did want him. But then you saw the price he got, and I'm like, I didn't want him for that price. Right. Yeah, he's uh, – this is his, like, what? He came in 2006, was it 14th year? I think so. Wow. I just, yeah, all I can just remember is him sitting at that free throw line uh, in Chapel Hill, right? And he's – Fuck you, JJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just burying free throws. Right. <laughs> Boy, they hated oh. him. They hated yeah. him. Oh, that, man. Uh, that was just, yeah, that was Batman back in the day. Um, okay, guys, thank you for indulging me on my stupid trade idea. Um, thank you for coming on. You guys were, like, uh, like I said, really good. And you uh, are welcome anytime you would like to return. All right. Excellent. Well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the the opportunity. You know, getting uh, getting a chance to be on the old CSG. Yeah. And he doesn't have to put the thing together, so it makes him even happier. He gets to yeah. hang up and just go about his business. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I was I was you know I'm I'm devastated that Ross Martin wasn't here, and you know I know he's probably out on assignment. <laughs> Travel but... the world on assignment. <laughs> Ross Martin and Nate. Uh, we here, here's a story, and I and I don't know if Ross will listen to this. The 400th episode that Nate and I did a couple weeks ago. Right. Ross was supposed to be there with us. <laughs> it's, it's for one reason or other it didn't happen. Yep, those, those pesky assignments, man. Every, every time, every time Conley's on, he's like, "So I've yet to meet Ross Martin." <laughs> and I said, "He's he's CSG's Bob Sakamano." You know. Yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you guys. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much.